Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Ben Wickler is going to be with us. Uh, Trumpster candidates, the whole stop the steal thing, they're going nuts in Wisconsin. It's amazing what's happening to the political uh, landscape there. Ben will tell us all about that. He lives there. And also, we got a crazy alert. Racist Trump advises Joe Rogan to stop apologizing for using the N-word. I'll tell you about that. And... Trump removing documents should be an easy prosecution. We'll get into that. And also, Jamie McLeod Skinner is going to be with us. She is an Oregon rural progressive Democrat taking on an incumbent Democrat who is, like, just totally in with the, with the GOP. Well, not totally, but largely in with the GOP. We'll talk about that also. So that's what's coming up in the program today. On the uh, website for the Wisconsin Democratic Party, wisdems.org, W-I-S as in Wisconsin, Dems as in Democrats.org, there's a note here. It says, long-term survival of American democracy depends on Wisconsin. Whoa. Let's check that out with our old buddy Ben Wickler, the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party, the wisdems.org. He's also on Twitter at wisdems, W-I-S-D-E-M-S, and of course at Ben Wickler, W-I-K-L-E-R. Ben, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Tell us, how is it that as, uh, as goes Wisconsin, so goes America, and how is going Wisconsin, how is Wisconsin going? <laughs> so Wisconsin, like it or not, is, is the tipping point state. We were the state that tipped Trump over the top in 2016, Biden over the top in 2020. We're the only state where four of the last six presidential elections has come down to less than one percentage point. Mm-hmm. And we have a governor's race in 2022 that will determine uh, whether we have a governor who believes in certifying the legitimate election or someone like Rebecca Clayfish, who was Scott Walker's number two. She's running for governor now, and there's people... Uh, you know, just as radical as her in the, in the primary, uh, who, frankly, might just throw the election to Trump, even if, if, if Biden wins re-election here, um, and have already proposed scrapping our bipartisan elections administration system to put Republican partisans in charge. And that race, the governor's race in the fall, which is, to me, one of the most critical hinges for the future of democracy, that will depend in part on what happens in local races that are coming up starting next Tuesday, 
uh, for offices that affect election administration at the local level in our state. It's like the first tiny little domino, but if, if the Green Bay City Council gets taken over by Stop the Steelers, they could mess with the elections that could tip a statewide governor's race, which could tip a presidential race, and then we're in real trouble. And uh, that is wow. that is setting my hair on fire, and I think everyone should feel the same way. It's the old, uh, for lack of a nail, the war was lost thing. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. So tell us about these uh, election office. Uh, you, you, there was a name for it that you used uh, uh, that I don't recall specifically. The, the the people who are going to administer the elections. I didn't realize they sure. were elected in Wisconsin. How does that work? And and are you seeing an actual mobilization of uh, so-called stop the stealers of of uh, you know uh, basically American neo-fascists trying to take over your electoral system there in Wisconsin? Yes. So in Wisconsin, we have one of the most decentralized election administration systems in the country. We have uh, about 1,850 local clerks who run the election city by city. Uh, The clerks are mostly appointed by city councils and mayors. And what that means is that who's in the the office of the the mayor and who the city councilors are can have a huge effect on whether voters are basically shut out. you know, or, or whether local elections are certified or whether things run smoothly the way that they have in the past and are supposed to. There is absolutely a concerted effort now on the right uh, to take this over. And I, I, I spoke on Maddow with Melinda Eck, who has uh, organized this, the January 6th protest in Green Bay um, and a string of additional ones since then. Um, I've, I've heard we're trying to nail down confirmation of this, that she also organized buses of people to go to um, to Washington, D.C. for the Stop the Stop the Steal event. So you've got somebody uh, who's an open traitor here. Yeah, and she is, has a slate, a whole group of people that are showing up on the you know, extreme far-right uh, talk radio, hate radio in Wisconsin, um, talking about how they want to take over the Green Bay City Council. That's our third largest city. Right. She's one example. Another is one of the fake electors is a city council member who's, who's running for re-election now. Um, yeah, and you know this is if you if you tune into local right wing talk radio across the state, there's 81 right wing talk radio stations. They're talking about local elections all the time. Um, Democrats need to, and people, anyone who cares about democracy, even if you hate the Democratic Party, these are nonpartisan offices. We just need people who believe in democracy to be administering the mechanics of our elections, and and that to me. It is a bottom line thing, and the, the primary is on Tuesday, February 15th, the general elections April 5th. It's go time. So educate yourself for the primaries uh, or for this February 12th election and, and get out there. Yeah. Uh, ben, I, I, you're the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. I'm, I'm curious if you talk with your colleagues from other states and if you're hearing similar stories. I do talk to my, my fellow chairs about it. Um, the, the commonality is that in every state, there is this big push by the right to take over election systems. The difference is that the, the way that that would work is totally different state to state. Right. In Pennsylvania, most of the boards of election were actually chosen last year or are up in 2023. So this year is not the critical year, um, but next year certainly will be. In, in Michigan, the township clerks who administer elections are elected in November on the same day as, as their all-important governor's race. So, and it's interesting because it's actually hard to get a national picture of when each of these critical pieces is. Um, I am obviously uh, <laughs> deeply immersed in the Wisconsin-specific context, but I think that we have the, the largest set of election-affecting elections uh, coming up this spring are the Wisconsin general elections on April 5th. 
So that's step one. But, you know, I think it's worth, I, I pulled a spreadsheet recently of mayoral elections across the country. Mayors have a big say in whether their cities are pro-voting or anti-voting. Um, and I think it's worth looking at, at every level for where the points of weakness are for, for people that don't think we should have a, you know, a, a democratically elected government um, and make sure that those people don't get control. You know, what's so shocking about this is this is not about, you know, Republicans trying to, um, you know, advance a policy or a, a, a positional dispute, you know, about how things should be or what what should, you know, or, or even, you know, just trying to trying to trash their their opponents. This is Republicans, presumably, saying that they don't believe in democracy. They want to seize, you know, it's, it, it, Donald Trump quoted Joe Stalin's secretary, quoting Joe Stalin, saying it doesn't matter who votes, what matters is who counts the votes. And the Republicans appear to have taken this to heart. Is, is there, uh, first of all, you know, like with the Canadian truckers, we're seeing that this all started with a, a Missouri mom's Facebook page that got hijacked back in October of last year. And then she became the nexus for all these groups uh, that ended up, you know, f over 300,000 members um, promoting the whole Canadian trucker thing over the last week. I mean, is kind of, and, and it looks like it might be foreign trolls doing this. I mean, certainly from Canada's point of view, if it's Americans, it's foreign trolls too. Um, who are are you seeing big outside money coming in? Are you seeing foreign involvement? Are you seeing uh, you know uh, social media being abused or used inappropriately in ways to to uh, again ha try to hack the elections in Wisconsin? The interesting thing is that in Wisconsin, the elections are so local that it's actually hard for a foreign actor to get, uh, you know, to get into it. Maybe they can do one, you know, uh, one clerk in a small town here or there, but there's a million different things that you'd have to get it, get into. The, the the frightening thing on my end is you have someone like Steve Bannon, who's been banned from most platforms, but now reaches millions of homes. He is telling his, you know, his troops is telling everybody focus on these offices that affect election administration. Right. And then that call has been picked up by, you know, this guy, Joe Giganti, who's a, a Northern Wisconsin talk radio host. And then he's having these local forums and having these, you know, slates of people on his radio show. And that builds this kind of energy. To me, the, the threat is, you know, it, it's coming from a national uh, push, the same way that the fraudulent electors were. This was coordinated through the Trump campaign. But the, the fighting part is that it has legs. There are people who are at the local level who are running for these offices and who are focused on these offices. We can win these races. The majority does not support these positions in any community, but we have to get the word out so that people know that they're this threat. Normally, these local elections have tiny, tiny rates of turnout. That's often under 20%. Uh, that means that one determined volunteer can help flip a, a city council if they just call enough voters. Right. We've got to get on the ball. Yeah, so if you're in Wisconsin, get over to, even if you're not, get over to wisdems.org, W-I-S-D-E-M-S.org, and check it out. And, uh, of course, Wisdems on Twitter and Ben Wickler on, on Twitter as well. Ben Wickler, the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Ben, great talking with you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to drop in and share, share with us what's going on in your state. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. Oh, it's my pleasure. We'll be back with uh, more of the news of the day and your calls in just a minute. We've got uh, Jimmy Kimmel spotted something I want to tell you about. Rich in Central Woolly, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's up? I believe you've been seeking for a nice, concise bumper sticker response to that. Reagan's government is the problem. Right. Ironically, it has been provided for us by another Republican. That is, when... 
At the conclusion to his Gettysburg address, Lincoln referred to, and I quote, the government of, by, and for we the people, unquote. All right, shall not vanish so from any, this earth. Yeah, shall not perish some, from this earth. Shall not perish from this earth. Anytime somebody says government is the problem, that's a slap in the face to we the people. I'm saying, you are the problem. You little man, you working man, you are the problem. Yeah. Well, that's that's definitely what Reagan was saying, and that's definitely what the right-wing billionaires are ranting about right now. So, yeah, I'm with you, Rich. Thank you. Zeke in Portland. Hey, Zeke, what's up? Well, Tom, I just wanted to make a couple of points, if I could. This business about, you know, can you uh, somehow get the, the Trump base to, uh, you know, calm down, uh, change their minds, et cetera, et cetera, you can't. Okay. Well, um, it's actually shrinking, Zeke. It's measurably shrinking. We know that. So some of, no. you know, whether it's just people who weren't all that passionate to begin with or whether it's uh -huh. people waking up, they are losing members. Where'd you get that data point? I've seen it in numerous media. You look at the, at the mm -hmm. surveys, the, the Trump base is shrinking. The Republican base actually has been shrinking for the last six years. And now you've got, what, five, six Republican senators who've come out and, and publicly said, we support Mike Pence over Donald Trump. I mean, I think that this thing is starting to crack. Yeah. But, but, but I well, interrupted I, you, Zeke. If you want to finish your, yeah. your, your logic well, train there, maybe, maybe we actually agree on this. I don't know. Well, I heard an interesting exchange about 10 days ago between George Lakoff, who I have a lot of respect for, mm -hmm. and uh, Brooke Gladstone on NPR, who runs a show called On the Media. And Ms. Gladstone said that, that the Trump base was 25% of the population, and Lakoff was having none of it. He came right back and said, oh no, it's 37%. And I have, I have been looking really? at this very closely for a long time, and I thought it was somewhere between 33 and 40. And Lakoff, who's a smarter man than I am, said 37. Yeah, I think it's about right, 37%. As a percentage of Americans yeah. or as a percentage yeah, of Republicans? Right. As a percentage of Americans, 37%. Yeah. Wow. Okay? And I, I beg to differ. I know these people. Tom, you and a lot of liberals have no idea how bad these people are. I had an encounter with an old redneck in a bus terminal in Tampa, Florida in 1967-68 while I was going up to college at University of Florida. And this guy, I don't know if I set him off, my appearance, but, man, the hatred that came out of this guy, it left me totally shaken and i thought at the time well oh, just one old pissed off redneck no tom no no he was speaking he made reference he said someday the people are going to rise up and take down this country he said these words and man you just don't know these people are white hot that 37 percent is white hot in intensity in politics as in warfare as a false force multiplier and you've got 30 to 40 percent of the population in this country that's only concerned about the price of groceries and gasoline and isn't paying attention and if we don't reach out to people in that mushy middle as i call it and bring them to our side we're going to lose this we're going to lose this i agree with you yeah uh, and and yeah. i mean this is the, this was the essence of my book on oligarchy i i've been shouting this for quite some time what we are seeing happening in the united states right now is not something new or unique to the United States, as much as we like to think that we're special. Yeah. <laughs> this is an right. old story. One. Could I make one other, one other you point? You got 10 seconds. All right, just liberals are getting two things wrong. Trump is not stupid. He is very smart. He is implementing the Hitler Goebbels, Goebbels playbook line for line. And the base is the dog that wags the tail. Trump is not 
the dog. Here's yeah. the tail. Yeah, it's okay. it's this old racist base that started with the John Birch Society, you know, reacting to the right. Brown versus Board decision back in 54. I get it. Zeke, thank you. Thank you very much. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back. Picking up your phone calls here. Jerry in Hayward, Wisconsin. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom. I just wanted to, to let you know what's going on with Ron Johnson. Okay. There's a, there's a headline in Madison.com, and it reads, Senator Ron Johnson not fighting to get 1,000 Oshkosh defense jobs for Wisconsin over South Carolina. Now, apparently, there's a multibillion-dollar contract for the Postal Service and their new uh, delivery trucks. Correct. And Ron Johnson said, it's not like we don't have enough jobs here in Wisconsin. The biggest problem we have here in Wisconsin right now is employees not being able to fill those, in, the employers not being able to fill the jobs. And he also said that he was in support of it, but when you're using federal tax dollars, you want to make sure that it's being spent in the most efficient way. And if it's more efficient to spend that money in other states, he has no problem sending those jobs to other states. And what's really odd about this is Oshkosh is his hometown, and it's in his district. Yeah, you know what's really going on here, Jerry, is the the, the two truck, the, this this is a massive contract. This is you know a multi-billion dollar contract from the Postal Service. They have the second largest fleet of vehicles in the United States. And there is a company in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh, that makes electric trucks. And there's a company in South Carolina that makes gasoline and diesel-powered trucks. 
and uh. and the Biden administration specifically asked the post office to use all this money to buy electric trucks to electrify the postal fleet and that would give a huge jump start to the electric truck industry uh, to the uh, general electrification of America the average lifespan for a postal vehicle is 30 years so this is going to this is going to be a decision that echoes for a long, long time. And Louis DeJoy, being a Republican and being in tight with the fossil fuel industry, said, eh, screw the electricity. I'm going to give this contract to the company in South Carolina that makes the diesel trucks. And uh, the Biden administration is, is very upset about this. They want the, the, the electric trucks. Uh, but this is why Ron Johnson is saying it, because he's a Republican. He's taking money from fossil fuel billionaires. And they don't want our, our, our uh, you know, postal fleet and thus you know, by implication, much of the rest of the American trucking fleet to be electrified. I mean, it's just that simple. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's why he's twisting himself in pretzels to say, no, my own district doesn't need this money. We don't need the jobs. He's, he's lying through his teeth, Jerry, and he's doing it to suck up to petro billionaires. I mean, it's, it's just that's that's really what it just comes down to. Jerry, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Steve in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, hey, I was calling uh, when you were commenting about Joe Rogan and uh, President Trump. <clears throat> um, my question, well, my, I guess my comment would be, I don't think uh, Rogan's apology is, is uh, genuine at all. Um, I think he amassed most of his followers when he was using the word, and that's probably, I mean, I guess I'm, I would wonder how many of his followers, you know, have an appetite for that kind of thing, and that's why they follow him. And then once he, you, uh, Rogan brought in the white, the white racist or white supremacist listener and built right. his base doing that. Spotify apparently didn't realize that because um, well, they just took no, down like a hundred of his old podcasts. Well, apparently, I think a Spotify, the CEO of Spotify had to be okay with it. He apologizes, but uh, he's going to stand behind him. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, my, my question is how many, how, why is there such an appetite? To use the word first of all, and then when you when you amass, it's it's really disingenuous to amass your followers uh, using that word, being so cavalier with it, re completely disrespecting the the friends that he says that he ha that he has are black, uh, yeah. completely disrespecting them totally, and then all of a sudden when you've got the rewards of a hundred million dollar contract, oh I'm sorry, it right. doesn't look too good. Right. I think he knew what he was doing the whole time, just like Trump when uh, you know he he offered. Uh, you know, he sold uh, blacklist residences as a feature. Right. Like, okay, here we have granite countertops, we've got 10-foot ceilings, and we've got no blacks in the neighborhood. Yep. You know, yep. And, and people bought that because it was a feature. Yep. Uh, do you remember the, the debate with Hillary when she called him out uh, about that violation? And he said, his response was, but we paid a fine. So, <laughs> just like Joe Rogan is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I totally get it, Stephen. And my, my, in my opinion, his casual use of the N word like that is 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 about power. It's about disrespecting right. a group of people exactly. and saying that he has exactly. he has the power to do that. It's 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 his exactly. it's chest thumping. It's, <laughs> Well, here's the part of the, here's the part of that. He's he's protect. He's pretty well insulated. So there, there's going to be some people who do that in their own uh, circumstances, and there there are a lot of people who react to that word violently. Yeah, very violently, yeah. and they 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 offended by it. To some people, it doesn't mean anything. 
to some people it, it is an act of violence and their response they've been trained from children to respond violently because of that so joe rogan's followers who think they can use it in their neighborhoods or in their circle aren't going to have the same kind of protections that uh he's going to have right they're not you know, multi-millionaires like yeah and and, yeah. and media stars no i totally get it steve thanks thanks so much for for that and for, uh, right. for highlighting that i appreciate it Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. So uh, you have heard me uh, many times, particularly in the last year, voice concerns about Kurt Schrader. He's uh, he represents or he's a Democrat representing Oregon's 5th District, has worked to sabotage Biden's Build Back Better. He's the heir of uh, the Pfizer fortune and has worked to prevent Medicare from negotiating drug prices and, and other shall we say, problematic positions that this so-called Democrat has taken. And two years ago, we had Mark Gamba on the program. He was a, a primary challenger to uh, Schrader. It was not successful. Now he's got a new primary challenger. And this person, I think, is really has a chance, has been endorsed by Indivisible and, and uh, groups all over the country. A uh, great article uh, about her just recently on um, Daily Kos as well. Uh, Jamie McLeod Skinner is running against, you know, in the primary against Kurt Schrader here in the new, newly withdrawn 5th District. And by, by the way, about a third of the voters are going to be new. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E-4, F-O-R, Oregon.com is the website. And also the Twitter handle, Jamie for Oregon. Jamie McLeod Skinner, welcome to the program. Tell us, tell us about your candidacy and your campaign. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for the opportunity to have this conversation. And yeah, this is an exciting opportunity to get better leadership for Oregonians and really for all Americans in Congress. And it's actually more than more than even a third. This over half the district is new. And so this is an opportunity to really replace someone who has not been a true incumbent uh, with someone who shares the values of Oregonians and Americans in, in wanting to get things done for our families. Um, so a, a little bit about me. I um, you know, I was very influenced by my mom uh, growing up and she would get up early to drive a school bus, teach all day, and drive a school bus home. In the summers, she would pick fruit in the orchards, put food on our table. And uh, that sense of commitment to family and, um, and also service is, is what really shaped me. I, um, after getting degrees in, in engineering planning, I wanted to serve. The, the war in Bosnia just ended, and um, I couldn't, I had come out as a young adult, so I couldn't serve in the military. So I worked for a humanitarian organization uh, managing the repairs of schools and hospitals in Bosnia and Kosovo. Whoa. Uh, most recently, I've been doing wildfire recovery here in Oregon and also working on affordable housing. That's 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 a, a great CV. And I, where I'd gotten that third from actually was uh, you're you're a rural Democrat, as it were, and Deschutes County is uh, your electoral stronghold. And that that's about a third of the new fifth district. Do I have that right? That's absolutely right. Uh, a third of the likely voters are now in Central Oregon. Uh, where Kurt has never been on the ballot and where I've won every time I've been on the ballot, uh, including against Greg Walden in 2018 when I ran in a very conservative district. And we had the largest voter swing of any congressional race in the country that year. Um, and it was really the start of pushing back. Uh, that's when Walden was trying to take away our health care. And as many folks that have said to me about Schrader, it's like running against Walden again, except in a winnable district. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 a, and a fine thing. Um, t t tell us about the groups that have endorsed you and, and you know, who are supporting you. And, and t to the best of your knowledge, has anybody yet endorsed Kurt Schrader other than maybe Big Pharma? 
<laughs> uh, he's working on it. He apparently had to take down his endorsement page uh, just because a lot of people have um, actually folks have flipped and there's folks who have supported him in the past are endorsing me now. Uh, really proud to have Indivisibles, Working Family Party, uh, UFCW. We built a really broad coalition of Democrats um, uh, at the local, state, and national level uh, to to really, you know, put our shoulders into to getting this done and, and winning this race. Um, I'm actually the best positioned Democrat to win this race. Uh, we can also talk about what a true Democrat is. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look at this, is is a swing district, so it's called a D plus one. And what that means is when you take a generic Republican and run, run them against a generic Democrat, uh, the Democrat would win by 1%, meaning it'll be a heavily contested race. Well, if you look at past performance, had Kurt run in a D-plus-1 in 2020, he would have lost. Had I won in a D-plus-1 in 2018, I would have won by 11%. Whoa. So we, yeah. So, so apples to apples. Um, he's not only not a true incumbent in over half the district now, he also, he's, broken trust with a lot of his votes. I know you've spoken about some of those in the past. There's just a laundry list we could go through. Uh, he underperforms in his races. And also, what I've heard from folks where he served before is a real sense that he's out of touch. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that too. You know, I, I generally don't ever have primary candidates on this show, and, and it's because, you know, I've, I've been burned. I mean, I, I've learned this lesson the hard way from uh, having primary candidates on um, from districts that I'm not familiar with, you know, places where I don't live. And, and, and then I discovered that, hey, yeah, that was a great progressive, but there's a better progressive running in that race, too. And how, how did I screw that up? Um, but this one, this is close to me. But the, the, main, the main pushback that I get from Democrats about featuring primary races is, oh, that's circular firing squad, and you're gonna make it harder for the Democrat to win in the fall, regardless of who wins, because you've got this primary fight going on. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, you know, Kurt's gone so far to the right that, um, he, you know, he's, as he said with Mark Gamble, he said about me that running to the left of him. Well, of course we are. I mean, he's so far to the right that running to the left of him just means you're a Democrat. Um, and and the other thing, too, is this argument about uh, being a moderate. Well, we're in a time of crisis right now. Our families are in crisis. Our climate's in crisis. Our democracy's in crisis. And when you're in a time of crisis, not addressing it doesn't make you a moderate. It just makes you ineffective. So what we what we really focused on doing is problem solving. And, you know, that's how we bring folks together. I, as a rural Democrat, I've built coalitions across not just the the urban rural divide, but the political divide as well. And and the trick there is really to to focus on the challenges we're all facing and talk about those things and, and bring people to the table to talk about how we overcome the challenges of, you know, putting a roof over our head and food on our table and opportunities for our kids and, and health care for all so that people don't go bankrupt. I mean, those are the things that bring us together. And, you know, I, I in this race specifically, um, we will uh, we're working to get the better candidate elected, the better connect uh, the, that, the candidate who's better um, a representative of our values in the primary. We'll do the same in the general. We'll do the same yeah. in the general. And and then it's just a matter of what the choices are now, uh, what the choices are now versus then. And, you know, the opportunity that I've heard from a lot of folks and a lot of people who have reached out and really encouraged me to run, inc- including Mark Gamba, who's endorsing me in this race. It really said, look, we, we, this is an opportunity with a newly drawn district to really have someone who represents our values. 
And, you know, we're just going to work together to get the job done. Um, again, we'll do that in the primary and we'll do that in the general to find the best match uh, with the choices we have. Any sense who you may be running, uh, assuming you win the primary, <laughs> Knockwood, uh, any sense who you may be running against in the, in the general election? Are the Republicans going to be putting up a Trump humper or is it going to be a, uh, a more conventional Republican, in quotes? Uh, no, the two that are most prominent are, are um, wrapped themselves very much in the Trump flag. And so it's someone who's a, a, a former mayor um, in the Happy Valley area and then also someone who's in the Bend area, a businessman who run and um, lost to, to Bent, who currently represents the, the, uh, the second congressional district. But they, you know, they, there's going to be a clear contrast. Again, going, going from the primary to the general, uh, there will be a clear clear contrast either way. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's a good thing. And, and, and my apologies if uh, invoking the image of Donald Trump humping the leg of Uncle <laughs> Sam was uh, offensive. Um, Jamie McLeod Skinner, the Democrat for Oregon's new 5th District here in Oregon, as I said, running Jamie, J-A-M-I-E 4, F-O-R, Oregon.com, and Jamie for Oregon on Twitter. Jamie, I wish you the very best, and I endorse you. Thank you so much for Thank being on the program. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll be back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Rob in Wacken, Waconia, Minnesota. Am I saying it right, Rob? Waconia. Waconia. Okay, what's up? Yeah, just west of the Twin Cities. Uh -huh. um, you had a uh, caller earlier who said they had a, uh, a run-in with Facebook, and I thought I would call and uh, share my own recent run-in with Facebook. I had uh, reposted a meme calling into question um, Fox's validity. And it was fact-checked by uh, Facebook's independent fact-checkers. Well, they listed their independent fact-checkers, and it turns out to be 
a article from a source called the Dispatch. Well, the Dispatch is rated as center right wing, and it's run by three guys. I can only find information about two of them. One of them, Stephen Hayes, is from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and he used to be a writer for the National Review, and he's been since recently hired on at NBC News as a contributor and political analyst. Wow. Okay. So he's climbing the, the ladder of uh, right-wing punditry. Well, he's gone from right-wing to NBC News, mainstream MSM, you know, news. Mm-hmm. One of the other guys who's in charge of this dispatch is a guy named Jonah Goldberg. Oh, yeah. And he was an American conservative syndicated columnist who used to be on Fox. Yeah. So this, and he's so, just been hired by CNN. So these, and these are the guys who are, who are uh, censored you. That's amazing. Rob, thanks for the heads up on that. Tony in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, Tom. Uh, I'd just like to tell you that as a progressive all my life, uh, we are deluding ourselves to thinking that we could change the mind of these Trumpsters to come aboard and to normal thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania, and, and, and feet on the ground, report northeastern Pennsylvania. It, I, am, I feel like I'm a blue lifeboat in the middle of a red ocean. And there is no, no talking to these people, none. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've given up, and we have extremely, extremely important election coming up in Pennsylvania this year. We have a gubernatorial race uh, that's going to be contested. We have an extremely important Senate race. Yeah. And you should see the money they're, they're dumping into Pennsylvania right now. Oh, Even right. In, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania, in a semi-rural area, and the money they're dumping into this a senatorial race in in Pennsylvania is it's already it started months ago and it's what is that money buying Tony what are you seeing that t- tells you that a lot of money is coming into the state well the, well the, Mr. Oz is running Dr. Oz is right. running for Senate and he lives in Jersey works in New York but he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania uh, there's there's other candidates there are big money actually the two Republican front leaders for Senate don't live in the state one lives in Connecticut one lives in New Jersey so, but this, they're, they're, they're duking it out right now in, in a primary. Mm-hmm. So they're spending lots of money. Do you think, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but you're, uh, he's the, the uh, Secretary of State or the Attorney General? Um, I think that's for governor, Senator, that's a Republican. No, I'm, I mean the Democrat who's, who's in, in the primary. John, John Fetterman. John Fetterman, thank you. Does it, does it look like he's got a good chance here, Tony? I hope so. I pray you hope so. He is a great, great man. Yeah, he, he is. He's a very good guy. Tony, I'm sorry that somehow the music is killing your phone. It must be a VoIP phone. Tony, thanks a lot for the call. Great to hear from you. We will be back. Stick around with us. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. Hey, Tom. Hey, I just had to strongly disagree with what you said about the January 6th hearings and that Republicans are going to somehow turn against Trump at that point. I mean... I hope you're right, but I really strongly doubt it. I mean, they stand in lockstep against reality every day. I don't know why you think that would change in any way for any of them, even Susan Collins. Yeah, you know, the first primary this year is, is, I believe it's March 1st in Texas. I could be 
misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it's in that neighborhood. It's coming up soon. It's coming up in the next month or so. And the January 6th committee has not announced when they're going to hold their public hearings. But if they hold their public hearings before the primaries, these Republicans who are desperately trying to get the Trump base, which is the main voting base in Republican primaries, will probably do what you're saying, George. They'll probably just keep their mouths shut and their heads down and, you know, try to make it through the primaries. But if they do the hearings after the primaries are over or during the primaries, in other words, if these hearings happen in April, or May as, you know, I mean, the primary season goes all the way up until uh, July or August, I believe, but maybe even September, but depending on the states and some are more obscure than others. But, you know, if they do it a little later, my guess is that it will have that effect because once these Republicans get past the primary and they are the candidates, then they're going to be looking at the general election. And to get to win in the general election, I'm of the opinion, and again, maybe I'll be, maybe I'm wrong, uh, maybe you can prove me wrong, George, but I think in the general election, Trump is going to be a loser for a lot of these guys. Yeah, I hope you're right. I really do. I, I, I generally take a pessimistic view on that. But one thing I, I feel a little a little bit more optimistic about is my I'll, I'll, if I may touch on CRT for a minute, is that all this, um, you know, culture war that's happening now may eventually lead to an expanded curriculum on that subject matter for young children. I mean, you know, as we all know, CRT has never been taught in public schools in any way. Right. Really what they're uh, talking about is black history. They're just trying to ban black history. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Right. But my hope is that, you know, it'll be expand. The curriculum along those lines will actually expand because even what's been taught has been a pretty watered down version oh, yeah. of black history. Oh yeah. So I, I, I'm a little bit hopeful, actually, with this culture war that we're actually going to turn turn it around and it's going to bite them in the butt, especially if they lose interest in it, as you stated earlier. Me too. Uh, I, I agree with that. And there, there was a great piece in the New York Times yesterday, by the way, about how Trump is rapidly now starting to lose lose uh, support within the GOP, and and wars are breaking out on the hard right between the. The, the sort of crazies like Ted Cruz and the genuinely crazies like, you know, Marjorie Trader Green. So we'll see how it shakes out. George, thanks a lot for the call. Jason in Catonsville, Maryland. Am I saying that right, Jason? Catonsville, Maryland. Catonsville, okay. What's up? Yeah. Just when I hear someone say or see on social media, uh, let's go, Brandon, my response is don't look up. Ah, uh, but, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but to my point regarding crt it seems to me that those anti-crt laws cut both ways and i would love to see a flood of black people and interest groups hold those states accountable for teaching the traditional american history i know that's got to make black people feel bad so all these slaveholding founders were just wonderful benevolent people who treated their enslaved human beings as as if they were family and and in some cases, uh, well, in Jefferson's case, made them family, but uh, wasn't that sweet? That kind of stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Throw it back in their faces. Yeah. That's what I say. It's, it's not our style, <laughs> you know, frankly, uh, Jason. I mean, you know, left-wingers have their own moral panics, but they tend not to be, uh, they tend to have some foundation in reality. Um, I mean, there is a huge foundation in reality to what you're saying, absolutely. But I think that, you know, rather than banning those books, what we're trying to do is is replace them, you know, with an accurate history of America. Well, it's like you're saying about the uh, campaign finance. 
with sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I say flood them in their own stuff, and, and then they'll have such a problem dealing with it that they'll reconsider. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an idea. Jason, uh, thanks for planting the seed. Let me think about that. I mean, there may be some things that are worth banning beyond just, you know, the... The, the, I mean, the, you know, the, the history of Christopher Columbus, for example, is another another example of, of you know our racial history being being completely um, you know elided or gutted or whatever. Uh, Jason, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Donald Trump to jump into some of the other things I was going to cover in this hour. Donald Trump has now come out and said to Joe Rogan, stop apologizing for using the N-word, Joe. I mean, this, this is truly astonishing. I, in a way, I, actually, it's, it's probably not. I mean, Joe Rogan in the past has, you know, trash-talked what he calls woke culture. He has talked about, quote, the silencing of straight white men. He's talking dirt about COVID vaccines. I mean, we're familiar with all these things. And now it's come out that he's, you know, just randomly, easily, casually used the N-word over and over and over again in his podcasts. I mean, this isn't just, you know, like, you know, some weird moment someplace, but in his podcast. You know, Donald Trump, who started his career working for his dad as a teenager, writing the letter C for colored on rental applications from black people so that they could deny them a place to live, something for which they were sued by the federal government. You know, that that guy is now saying to Joe Rogan, hey, it's okay if you use the N-word. You need to stop apologizing. And uh, this is, is that going well for Rogan right now? You know, it's, uh, Trump had said, Joe Rogan is an interesting and popular guy, but he's got to stop apologizing to the fake news and radical left maniacs and lunatics. So only lefties are concerned about the N-word, apparently. Uh, Dwayne uh, The Rock Johnson had initially supported Rogan. Then he did an about face. He said, I, he, he tweeted this out. He says, I was not aware of his N-word use prior to my comments, but now I've become educated to his complete narrative. It was a learning moment for me. So, you know, he's losing friends, as they say. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, uh, in addition to this, Donald Trump apparently stole cases of our stuff from the White House. We don't know how much furniture or dishes or statues or jewelry or gifts from other countries that have been given to the United States that Donald Trump stole. By the way, there's an interesting codicil to this, and that, that is, uh, remember Melania Trump was gonna sell, uh, was gonna auction off a piece of art that she created, and it was one of these non-fungible uh, digital tokens, I think they're called NFTs. Um, you know, uh, on online, and she was going to sell it for hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it ended up being a little over a hundred thousand, as I recall, maybe two hundred. But it looks like, I mean, people are trying to track it down, but it looks like maybe the purchaser was Melania herself or somebody in her office. Very strange stuff. So anyhow, Trump, Trump has all this stuff that he stole from the White House. The National Archives went down to Mar-a-Lago and retrieved fifteen boxes of the stuff, fifteen cases of the stuff that Trump stole, and they're still looking for stuff. They have no idea where he stashed it. They don't know if he sold it. They don't know if he gave it to the Saudis. They don't know if he's, he's passing it out to his children and grandchildren. I mean, you know, where, has, where have our documents gone? Where have our goods gone? Where have our computer? it could be computers from the White House. I mean, it's just like we don't know. What we do know 
is that Donald and Melania stole a bunch of stuff when they left the White House. They stacked the moving truck filled with things that belong to we, the American people. So Jimmy Kimmel comes out, and some genius on his staff, one of his producers presumably, maybe somebody flagged it for them, looked up the law. You know, there's an actual law, uh, uh, the Presidential Records Act, that says that it is a crime to, quote, conceal, remove, mutilate, obliterate, falsify, or destroy official records. Now, that's half the story. But what's the penalty for doing that? The penalty for stealing from the White House. Turns out it's not a $10,000 fine or a week in jail. The penalty is you can never hold public office again. If you violate this law, you cannot hold public office. And Jimmy Kimmel is like, hey, what are we waiting for? Disqualify away. And he says disqualify because the law says that if you have done this and you are convicted of it, you are disqualified from holding public office in America. Hmm. Let the trial begin. I mean, it might seem like a really small thing to hold a, a criminal trial of Donald Trump for stealing from the White House. But if it disqualifies him from ever holding public office, seems like a great place to start to me. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Phil Rucker and Carol Lennig. It's called A Very Stable Genius. And this is from the prologue. I alone can fix it. On July 21st, 2016, as he accepted the Republican presidential nomination in Cleveland, Donald John Trump spoke more than 4,000 words. But those five would soon become the tenant by which he would lead the nation. That night, Trump stood by himself in the center of the Quicken Loans Arena on an elevated stage which he had helped to design. A massive screen framed in gold soared above him, projecting a magnified picture of himself along with 36 American flags. This was a masculine LED manifestation of his own self-image. His speech was dark and dystopian. He offered himself to the American people as their sole hope for renewal and redemption. Past presidential nominees had expressed humility, extolled shared values, and summoned their countrymen to unite to accomplish what only they could achieve together. But Trump spoke instead of I. I am your voice. I will be your champion. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. It would be all too easy to mistake Trump's first term for pure, unadulterated chaos. His presidency would be powered by solipsism. From the moment Trump swore an oath to defend the Constitution and commit to serve the nation, he governed largely to protect and promote himself. Yet while he lived day to day, struggling to survive, surfing news cycles to stay afloat, there was a pattern and meaning to the disorder. Trump's North Star was the perpetuation of his own power, even when it meant weakening our shaky democracy. Public trust in American government, already weakened through years of polarizing political dysfunction, took a body blow. 
Tens of millions of Americans were angry, feeling forgotten by bureaucrats in Washington, derided by liberal elites, humiliated by a global economy that had sped ahead of their skills and consigned their children to be the first American generation to fare less well than their parents. Trump crowned himself their champion. He promised them he would make America great again, a brilliant one-size-fits-all mantra through which this segment of the country could channel their frustrations. They envisioned an America in which regulations didn't strangle the family business, taxes weren't so onerous, and good-paying jobs were plentiful and secure. Some of them also harked back to the 1950s, envisioning a simpler, halcyon America in which white male patriarchs ruled the roost, decorous women kept home and hearth, and minorities were silent or subservient. President Trump was the indefatigable pugilist for MAGA nation. He did not bother with carefully selecting a group of leaders to help him govern. The flashy promoter and reality television star believed he could run the U.S. government the way he led his real estate development company from a corner suite on the 26th floor of Trump Tower on his own gut instincts to seize opportunities and to size up and cut down competitors. Yet Trump's own recklessness hampered his ability to accomplish the very pledges on which he campaigned. From the start, government novices and yes-men made up much of his inner circle, a collective inexperience that exacerbated the troubles, wasted political capital, and demoralized committed public servants. The universal value of the Trump administration was loyalty. Loyalty not to the country, but to the president himself. Some of his aides believed his demand for blind fealty and his retaliation against those who denied it was slowly corrupting public service and testing democracy itself. Two kinds of people went to work for that administration. Those who thought Trump was saving the world and those who thought the world needed to be saved from Trump. The latter, who at times were drawn in by Trump's charm, were seasoned and capable professionals who felt a duty to lend him their erudition and expertise. Yet as the months clicked by, the president wore down these adults in the room with what they considered the inanity, impropriety, and illegality of his ideas and directives. One by one, these men and women either resigned in frustration or were summarily dismissed by Trump. He engaged in a constant cycle of betrayal, rupturing and repairing relationships anew to constantly keep his government aides off balance to ensure the continuity of his own supremacy. Some of them now sigh from a distance at a president they'd hoped to guide and the realization that fewer voices of wisdom remained to temper his impulses. They lamented a president who nursed petty grievances, was addicted to watching cable television news coverage of himself, elevated syncopants, and lied with abandon. Trump had delivered in part on his promise to be a human hand grenade, to raise and remake Washington. He has weakened the regulatory state, toughened border enforcement, and refashioned the federal judiciary, including two nominations to the Supreme Court, all priorities for his conservative political base. Trump also transformed America's trade posture, weakening multilateral agreements, which he believed allowed smaller countries to take advantage of the United States, and forging new bilateral accords on more favorable terms. He inherited a growing economy from President Obama and kept it humming, even as economists in mid-2019 predicted an eventual turndown. The book, A Very Stable Genius, by Rucker and Lennig.
And welcome back, Dave in Minneapolis. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Well, I have uh, many family members who uh, vote Republican all the time. And um, and I, I talk to one of them frequently about this stuff. And the one thing that kind of got through to her when she went to the bit is when I try to explain to her how the concentration of power is a very dangerous thing. The fewer people that have the most power is, uh, you know, is the dangerous thing. And I reminded her of the saying that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest. Yeah. And she <laughs> and she kind of like thought him and actually kind of relented a bit after I told her that. So, um, and that once power is taken, it's rarely given back. It needs yep. to be fought to be returned. So, Especially when it's so taken illegitimately. Points, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so those points kind of kind of made her at least think a bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a it's a good one, Dave. Thank you very much for that, and 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 keep up keep up the good work with your relatives there, Judy in Carpentersville, Illinois. Hey, Judy, what's on your mind today? Hi, I'm concerned about the the timing of the January sixth investigation. I'm worried that it's not going to be done in time before this Congress changes. And what does it take to get a special prosecutor? And why don't we have one? I don't know the answer to that question. The, the law has changed several times. Um, I don't know if it would have to be Congress or the White House that appoints it, but we don't have one. I'll give you that. But here's, this is the kind of the good news. Um, this is from yesterday's New York Times, uh, a piece by Alan Foyer. Uh, prosecutors have provided a revealing glimpse of their strategy for the first trial stemming from the attack on the Capitol. Now, keep in mind, this is the first of the uh, major prosecutions that Merrick Garland is bringing forward now. So he, it is, they are prosecuted. goes on, unveiling an inventory of the extensive ev evidence that they intend to introduce, including surveillance videos, police communications, text messages, geolocation data, and testimony from a Secret Service agent and the defendant's own children. Um, this is uh, the, the, the guy who's the defendant in this trial is a guy by the name of what, Guy Refit, R-E-F-F-I-T-T. The trial, the earliest of several related events, uh, will mark a major turning point in the Justice Department's vast in investigation of the Capitol attack. Uh, they go on to point, it's the, expected to be the first time prosecutors will publicly offer effort, uh, evidence of the allegations they've made against scores of similar dependents, uh, defendants. The four leaders of the far-right nationalist group, the Proud Boys, are set to go on trial in Washington in May. And in July, prosecutors plan to try 11 members of the Oath Keepers militia, including its leader, Stuart, Stuart Rhodes, on charges of seditious conspiracy. Three other Capitol officers are going to testify. Uh, prosecutors say that they have geolocation data from an app on this guy's phone uh, that pinpoints his pre precise moments, movements before, during, and after the January 6th attack. They also have uh, extracted from his phone threads of messages that he sent and received uh, by a Telegram, that chatting app that uh, is uh, sponsored by the UAE, I guess, um, that is so popular. So they are moving. They are moving. That's the good news, and that's, I guess that's the point that I wanted to make. Mary in Hinsdale, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey, I was going to ask you a question about the Civil War, but um, you talked about uh, pot. And I changed my mind, and I wanted to uh, tell you that um, I'm a registered nurse, and I work in geriatrics, and all night long I give out contraindicated black box warning antipsychotics, anti-anxiolytics, anti um, when all I would really like to be able to do is give them a pot brownie. 
instead of just sedating them. There you go. I babe. mean, well, I think it would be a great idea. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, and marijuana is is medicine. I mean, it, it, or it can be medicine. And it would what it would do. It would enhance their mood. It would increase their appetite. They wouldn't be zombied out and chemically restrained. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push for that, and I'll call you about my Civil War question okay. on another day. All right, Mary, thank you very much. I'm Thanks. with you. That was great. Steve in Angels Camp, California. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, Tom. Long time. I have never talked to you before. I have waited on the phone before, but anyway. <laughs> well, thanks for calling. Um, yeah, some of these uh, subjects to me, I mean, uh, I, I suppose many Americans uh, have wondered, where did all this mind uh, manipulation and mind control come from in the last 20, 30 years? I think you addressed this in some ways discussing right-wing radio. I know there's a history on that, and I think you wrote some book about it. Um, I'm curious because mind control has been a sub subject from my studies, my my educational background in psychology and uh, social services and programs to help you know, the nation uh, to think more productively and more clearly. And uh, along with that subject is the whole thing about consciousness. Yeah. Where does consciousness get derailed? Who does it? Why do they do it? But um, I would like to know uh, if there is a book that you've written on this subject. I think you had... You it's called Cracking the Code, Steve. Know. It's a book on messaging, on progressive messaging. It's called Cracking the Code. I published it in 2008 in the hopes that uh, Democrats would use it. To a large extent, they did. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it was... I think it was a, a useful contribution to the dialogue, but that's that's the title of the book, Steve. Steve, and I think you're right. I, th I think that an awful lot of this started on right-wing radio, Limbaugh being the obvious, uh, you know, uh, villain, as it were. But you know, they're they're continuing it. But now it's moving to podcasts, as you see with Joe Rogan, and it's moving over to the to YouTube and uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram and every place else. And you know, we just we just have to tell the truth to push back against it. Thanks a lot for the call, Charles in Flora, Indiana. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. I was wondering, I'd like to hear your opinion. The country's divided so badly, and it's pretty even both ways. One side's right and one side's wrong. And what's going to happen when they find out which one is which? <laughs> what well, I think, I think what it comes down do? to, Charles, is that, you know, the the Democrats, by and large, are in favor of labor rights, they're in favor of democracy, they're in, they're in favor of if they lose an election, they lose an election. I mean, you know, it's a, they respect the idea of democracy. Republicans increasingly are embracing the idea that elections are just a show, they're just performance, and if Republicans don't win the elections, then they'll change them, they'll rig them in advance, and if that doesn't work, they'll rig them after the election. They've actually passed laws now in more than a dozen states allowing them to do this. And, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty clear contrast. You know, it's a, you, are, are you in favor of democracy or not? That's what it's coming down to. But I, I feel that most of the country is in favor of it. It's just how, they, how you get there. Yeah, uh, and, well, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, Charles, I've got to run, but thank you very much for that. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. You can recite this by with me, can't you? It's not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. All right, there's so many good things you can do and so many great candidates. Look at, you know, Jamie, Jamie uh, 
McLeod Skinner, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who is on our program today. My apologies. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's just great candidates out there and good things we can do. So get out there and get active. Like I said, tag your it. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 